But I'm going to ask you now just to stop for a second and just consider what was your kind of knee-jerk, visceral reaction when you walked in today? Now, it might have been just as simple as something functional like, wow, it's loud in here. Okay, I get that. That might have been your action. But was there anything that was attached to either the style of music or fun? I'm glad to hear that it was fun. Um, And for some of you, it might have been a little negative, right? Uh, You don't have to answer that. But it might have actually brought up a thing or two that you're like, huh, boy, we seem to have these guys around a lot. That's not really the kind of music we play in this church. I don't hear that very often, but every now and then I get little hints of some pushback. And then it makes me ask the question, what is the pushback about, right? Today, we have been, we've been in this series, and we're going to actually start a real issue today. Uh, the real issue is immigration or migration, the interplay between people groups, and particularly people groups that feel like they're from somewhere else, and maybe how we interact in that. We're going to talk about some of that today. Some of you, by the way, I understand and have talked with you and spent time with you, and you really have a just like what I think is Jesus' heart for people. So I and I applaud that. And also, I have encountered others where there's some struggle there. There's some concern. So let's look at this. Let's think about this. As we're talking about this entire series, you'll see there's a bunch of different issues: earth care, feeding the poor, economics. Um, you know, war, a conflict, a number of different things that we're going to walk through. We're starting this as the first topic today. But I want to remind you, we established a couple of things. First of all, we established that there are two great principles that we at DC want to be always in the background of our decision-making related to any of these topics. One is dignity. In the very beginning of the story in the, in the narrative, God assigns dignity to human beings that is unlike anything else on this planet. No offense to dogs, but dogs are not humans in God's mind. Okay, don't get mad at me about that. In our society, I don't know where we are on that. It's worth a question, isn't it? But God assigned specific dignity, gave specific worth, and specific jobs. And the primary job is to reflect His glory to the universe, unlike anything else has the capacity to do in its fullest scope. So we are to reflect that. So dignity is part of what we are doing as a people group, as a church, that actually aligns with God's plan on that. The second thing is the whole idea of flourishing. And that's the word that we want to use. It's not necessarily that people have or get what they want. It is that they experience flourishing. And I recognize that in different places, in different cultures, definitely in different time frames, that means different things. But we pull from the Jeremiah 29 passage where God told Israel, you're going to be captives in this faraway land. You're going to be there for 70 years Move in. Don't become exactly like them. Don't try to break down everything and and say there's no barriers between us. Don't embrace their gods. Don't embrace all of their value systems and everything else. But at the same time, have children, get married, go about your business, build homes. And yes, pray for the flourishing 
of your captors, because as they flourish, so you will flourish. And that's an interesting concept. So we're encouraging on all of these topics as we're moving in. Next week, Jim is going to talk about earth care, being eco-friendly, what that means. And what we're not trying to do is tell you what to think. In fact, if you spend time with either one of us over coffee, we're almost completely not going to tell you a specific thing. We may reflect some of our own conclusions on things, but we're definitely not going to say to you, this is what you need to do. What we are trying to encourage you to do is to think theologically, think in such a way that you represent the heart and mind, the plan of God, because if we don't do that in our communities and in our nations, nobody else is going to do that. That's really the heartbeat of the mission that Jesus gave people to go and do. It wasn't go win a bunch of converts. It was actually go represent, be the best image bearers you can be, now with a story that's more complete than it was in the day of Abraham or the day of Joseph or the day of Daniel, and take that to the world and be about the world's best interest. Bless the world. And we're going to see some of that as we're walking through this today. So let's, let's uh, when we consider the issue of saying, okay, how did we respond to things? As I ask you that, my iPad, of course, is going to act up right now. Let's pull up this passage because Psalm 47 gives us a little bit of an insight that I think you'll find interesting. Listen to the things that seem like they're uh, almost conflicting in here, at least disjunctive. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Go ahead, Ryan. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. I mean, if those aren't song lyrics, I don't know what it is. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. What a phrase. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. Go back to that first slide. Ryan, let's make some observations. First of all, he sets up a thing that sounds like there's a hierarchy here. Like Israel is higher in God's value system. He subdued the nations. He put them under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Like we're the special blessed ones, right? That's what that sounds like. But then he continues in the next, go to the next slide, Ryan, because as he talks about it, he's like, no, wait, God is the God over all of the nations and the nobles of the nations assemble just like the people of the God of Abraham. Both of those things don't seem to align with each other. And I'm going to tell you right now what they illustrate. They illustrate the tent that exists between people groups, all time, all place, all languages, all everything. On the one hand, God has chosen. Think about this. There's a couple of verses. That, let's just think how these work together. God said, through Jesus, who's talking to Nicodemus in John 3. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. And Jesus says, God so 
What's the word? Loved who? The world. Right? That doesn't seem to be exclusionary. And in fact, it seems like it's for all time, it's all people, it's all everything. But God also made a statement himself about the sons of Isaac. And he said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. How do those two verses work together? Again, you've got a very complex system of things going on. The one seems to be a very global, all-inclusive phrase, and the other seems to really isolate among the key like progenitors of Israel, his own people. I pick this guy, not this guy. I love this guy. I hate this guy. Really. So this is complicated. It's complicated. Let's not, please, let's not simplify it, make it simplistically reduced down to a couple of things that we just hear, I don't know, on a Twitter feed or on a famous, our favorite, you know, news jockey, our favorite, whatever. Please don't reduce it to a simplistic level. This is complicated. It should stay complicated. How did you respond when you heard that we had hosted the Jewish community here from Summit County last week to celebrate their high holy days? They worshiped God in this. How does that, how do you respond to that? I'll tell you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I've gotten some pushback. I have. And we're all over the map as Dillon Community Church. What we're not trying to do is say we'll ever get to a place where we all think exactly alike. I know better than that. But I'm going to ask you just to think through, if you had the response that you had, why did you have that response? Where was it based? I would suggest there's a couple of places from which our responses come. One would be the heart and mind of God, which can be very difficult. I recognize it. I would also suggest another would be from fear. And I'm not sure that that's where the one that should drive the ship. We're going to look at a couple of things. You're going to be a little surprised, I think, where I take us on this issue. We have to remember our, our warnings. First of all, the American system, the, the culture, the society we find ourselves is telling us three things. You definitely have individual autonomy, and everybody is very individually valuable. And everybody who wants to think anything about themselves should be considered right, because we don't want to tell anybody you're wrong. Okay, somewhere we cross a line there. Okay, and individual autonomy sounds great, but the truth is, as soon as you put two people together, or 75 people together, or 500, or 350 million people together, whatever the layer is... They affect each other, so it's not as simple as autonomy. The second thing is safety. We've now, especially since 9-11, everything has got to be safe. Safety first. We're making everything happen in such a way we're going to bubble wrap everybody. How many of you bubble wrapped your kids to send them to school? I'm only kidding you. You didn't, but it seems like that's going to be part of the requirement pretty soon, right? So we've got some place where safety is, is actually helpful, and then it crosses some barriers. The third thing is the most complicated and the most difficult because it's so nuanced, and that's compassion. We're now saying we need to do everything out of compassion, otherwise it's evil. And compassion then is what? What the other person wants me to do and think about them? 
what I think I should do, what the society thinks we should do related to, it's super complicated. Compassion is tough. It's tough. And this issue keeps us always working in this. Now, I believe theologically in the baseline of what I think about everything. Those tensions are there on purpose. It is not our job to resolve everything down to a simple, oh, okay, now we know what we're going to do. It's almost never that simple. How many of you are married to another human being in here? How does that work out in your relationship with your spouse? Oh, I've got this all figured out right now, right? Are you kidding me? It's way more complicated than that. Even just with two people in mind. But as you broaden this thing out, it gets far and far more complicated. It's difficult. And God has those there because it's like we're supposed to learn to work together and towards each other, and that's going to be tough. Today we're going to study a passage. It's a little unusual. I don't know what your favorite passage is on the issue of immigration, but I'm going to take you somewhere else. If you have a Bible, turn in, in it to Genesis chapter 11. If not, you have a Bible in front of you. You can turn there. We'll also have it up on the screen. This is the story of the Tower of Babel, which sounds much like the Hebrew word balal, which is the word for confusion. Now, Babel and ba- that Babylonia comes from is not from the Hebrew. It's an Akkadian word. But the word plays in this passage, I wish you could see this in the Hebrew, because it's got so many words that sound like each other that work along, and then it reads in this rhythm pattern to where it's super memorable. This is one of those stories like the first telling in, the, in Genesis of creation that God put this out so that people could memorize it and you could teach your children that this is what happened. And it's chapter 11. What's the big event that happens right before chapter 10 and 11 in Genesis? Who knows? You get all kinds of extra points. Yeah, you can turn back in the pages. That's okay. The Noah event, right? The big flood There's problems on the earth, and God decides, I'm going to wipe everybody out and start over. Now, in light of that, read this. The whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, probably from Eden, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come on, let's make bricks, and we'll bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Think of the time involved. This is a major technological adventure. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be the face of the whole earth. Now, listen through that. Building a city is not necessarily the problem. Even a city that reaches to the heavens, although it has a sense of we're kind of putting an assault on God. It has that in there. But we're going to make a name for ourselves. What's the name all about? It's really about reputation, a sense of accomplishment, a uh, personally accomplished goal that we have set for ourselves. Why? It's in contrast to the last sentence. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What had God told them to do? Back when creation, God creates everything that's alive. And what did he say? Be fruitful and? And when you multiply and? Fill the earth. Part of the original description. Now, they had gone through the flood. 
that whole thing. And so they decide, huh, we can hang out together here. And rather than fill the earth as God had repeated that exact command to Noah, they said, no, we know better. So let's see what happens here. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That is not so much about the nothing that they plan as it is about the language. The language is the connection point that's the problem. That's the, that's the thing that is keeping them from fulfilling the plan of God. Now, when they weren't fulfilling the plan of God in the last story, what did God do? He wiped them out. What stopped God from wiping them out in this story? Have you ever thought about that? They're, they're saying, we're, we're just going to shake our fists in God's face. And God, think of the grace in this moment. Well, just as a little aside right here, the grace that goes on often in the of what God does, and especially all through the Old Testament, if you look for it, you can find it. It often sounds and reads as if God is just punishing, he's hating on them, he's mad, and everybody's just going to pay for it. Actually, the fact that God doesn't wipe them out is amazing that that doesn't happen. And instead, he says, I will make it such that you will accomplish the mission. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel, because of the way that sounds, the confusion, the, the lack of organization in the Hebrew language. Now, you might hear this again and say, well, okay, God is doing his business. He's just accomplishing what's going on. This is an incredible process. Right before this is a description that actually leads us into the next area. And that description in chapter 10 talks about the 70 nations that have different political associations. They have different tribal, they have different people involved, they have different languages. And it shows that actually God accomplished the mission that he had going on. How many of you are glad that we have a bunch of different languages in the world? Oh, that's way more than in the first service. Way to go. Nice job. Good for you guys. See, you're far better than those guys. Um, that's interesting because some of us do find it, like, fascinating. It gives us a platform to actually learn something about someone. Um, when I was studying Greek and Hebrew in my seminary process, I remember the first couple of sentences of people saying to me, you're going to learn a lot more about the people than you will about the words. And boy, was that true. You learn like how they thought, what was important to them. How many of you don't like, and you just get frustrated and you get a little discouraged, and it's okay to say yes about this, by the way. Okay, thank you. Yeah, a few people raise their hand. Because sometimes you go into a place and you want to talk to a person, and you can't. You can't get across the bridge. And you're like, I can't learn... Uzbeki in 30 minutes. You know, I can't do that or I can't whatever. And it's tough, right? So this is the, one of these great illustrations of the fact that when it comes to this issue of people moving in amongst people, God had the plan that we would have the differences and the distinctives. It's not the punishment. The plan was to spread out. 
And he said, well, I'm just accomplishing the mission. And the mission is that you will go to all the different places. You'll function in different ways. Your cultures will have different strengths and weaknesses. You'll learn how to grow different things because of the climate. You'll speak different words to each other because of what's important to you and your thinking and your values. And all of those are opportunities for us to move towards each other. Because what's the great commission in Matthew 28? If you believe the Great Commission is really primarily about going and just teaching people the sentences about Jesus, you're not paying attention. Because the pay attention is go, give them the story, and actually produce disciples by teaching, training, engaging. That takes crossing the bridge with language, understanding cultures. That's what it takes. The Great Commission is about the movement of peoples, and basically immigrating or emigrating so that you can connect with people and bring the love of Jesus to people. That's what it's about. That's the plan of God. So, it's worth asking some questions. What do we feel? How do we react? I'm going to give you a couple of ideas. First of all, I, I don't want you, and I, this is a reminder for me, Please take it as such. I never am just saying this to you. Don't want you to think in a boiled down way to where you take one small subset issue and then ride the whole thing on that. Okay? When we met in Iron Hour the other day, this was the list. We talked for 30 minutes. The guys talked at the tables for about five. And I said, what are the issues with immigration? Political unrest, economic opportunity, Hunger, by the way, I put those three at the top because those are the three primary reasons why people leave their home and go somewhere else. Political unrest, maybe as, as bad as war. Uh, economic opportunity that's better somewhere else. And just flat out hunger, the inability for an area to produce enough food or water. The impact on the host country or region the legal process, the desirability of people who are coming in, assimilation into a culture, freedom of ideals and things that are values, sustainability for generations, dual prejudice, because prejudice goes both directions, religion, a return back to home, and cultural misunderstanding. Oh, well, that's a simple deal, isn't it? It's pretty simple. Just like, no, it's super complex. It's got all kinds of things written. That's almost what it means to be a human being. Migration and immigration hits at all of the levels of being alive. So here's what I suggest that you don't do. Please, please don't reduce it to a conversation about a wall between one country or another. Please don't do that. Now, I acknowledge the fact that China accomplished building a wall and they've kept Mexicans out for generations. That was mission accomplished. <laughs> I acknowledge that. But please don't let the entire thing be reduced to that. That is this much of the issue. This much. Please do the work. Be true to yourself. Be true to the issue. In fact, all of these issues are complicated. Can you go as far in... Probably not, uh, not as specialists, 
but find out what specialists have determined to be true. Listen to the bigger picture. Hear what it's really about. I'll give you this data point. Uh, Some of you may know this and some of you may not. 285 million people are mis- or displaced in our global scenario right now. That is 3% of the entire world. 3%. 50 years ago, it was 100 million people, but that was 3% of the global population, which is interesting. It's been very static since the two great wars as far as the people who are either displaced on purpose or misplaced because they chose to go. Now, the interesting thing on that, less than 10% of those people were actually forced. They were displaced. Less than 10%. And of those, many of them were in scenarios that we never even hear about, and others are the scenario that is like the only scenario we hear about. How many of you know about the situation in Syria? Right? Okay, a bunch of us. How many of you know that there is a, a section of Tijuana that has 5,000 Haitians in it? It's called Little Haiti. And after the 2012 earthquake, they made their way south into Venezuela. They went all the way around through Central America, got to the border, and our administration said no. And they are living happily in Mexico. How many of you knew that story? Nobody. Nobody. A couple people have maybe heard a little bit of it. There are stories all over the place in the world. So please don't do this. Don't reduce it to anecdotal stories about one family or about one scenario. It's far more complicated than that. Get a broader picture. Open up. Do some reading. Make some decisions about what you think so that you can vote appropriately, whatever that means to you. So you can invest in maybe some solutions. But we definitely want to say, okay, this is a bigger issue here. It has global import. It also reduces down to national issues, no question about it. It reduces to regional issues. And I'm going to ask Jude to come up. This is Jude Del Hierro. How many of you... Give him a big hand. He, need, he deserves that. Yeah. I hope you've gotten to meet him. Jude is a good friend and a, such a great example. I learn from him every time we get together because his ministry, Confluence, their bands come, have come up for several uh, summers, and Confluence is about connecting. It's that flowing of the rivers together. You hear it in there. Actually, his, his actual ministry is in a former synagogue. I forgot that till I was just talking about the Jewish community a minute ago. Um, tell us a little bit about some initiatives, some things that you have done as Confluence Ministry related to this issue right there in Lakewood. Yes. Um... So first of all, I want to say thank you very much for uh, having us up here. We appreciate the family, the connection that we have here, and we're just so grateful for this beautiful expression of the body of Christ. Um, So we have an outreach community center in West Colfax, and it's more about empowering. It's more about an opportunity, what used to be the number one place for crime in the neighborhood because Mm -hmm. the synagogue had uh, moved Mm. closer to Sloan's Lake. 
And it had said vacant for many years. Mm-hmm. And so what was the number one place for crime became a place where community was being built. And one of the things that we noticed in our community, in the neighborhood, it was very multicultural. Uh, we had a Spanish-speaking community. We had documented community and undocumented. And one of the things we felt of what we can do is is to empower people through uh, English as a second language, um, uh, helping people get their GED in Spanish, and so uh, helping people walk, also walk through their citizenship if uh, they're on that trajectory of, of becoming a citizen. And uh, so it really was a, it's really been a beautiful place because that's where you really connect heart to heart and just really uh, understanding uh, the difficulty of some of those mm-hmm. who came in the journey. It was, it was just very, a lot of hardship in what you were talking about. Hmm. So that's kind of what we, what some of the things we do there. Great. We also, even with our music, have gone into the immigration detention center mm. during Christmas mm-hmm. and uh, Easter, and just bring a good news message mm-hmm. uh, there, you know, as well. And uh, so we also uh, bring the different churches' uh, leadership together mm-hmm. to actually have discussion. About these difficult topics, and then how mm. you know it is difficult to actually really unpack something like you know immigration, hmm. right? And with some of those churches, do you, do you have anything that you've observed that maybe would be helpful to us? Some an example yeah. or two for our church? Yeah, I just think there really uh, is a, a movement of churches really seeing that in their own communities. Uh, because this is not just in West Denver where we are. Mm-hmm. This is actually everywhere and actually even here in mm-hmm. in the summit. So uh, so churches are, are kind of looking to see, um, I think, um, something really, I think, beautiful is happening. And it just happened because of, um, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Mother Cabrini Shrine. You guys know mm-hmm. what that is? And it's actually, it's a statue of Jesus and he's holding his hand out like this. And he's, the other hand, he's pulling back his robe and he's exposing his heart. Mm-hmm. It's okay, I love about you. <laughs> As you feel this stuff. <laughs> Mother Cabrini is the patron saint of the immigrant. Mm-hmm. And basically the Italians were up in this um, community and... The men were dying from working in the in the in the mines um, up in Leadville, and Mother Cabrini actually took care of the widows and the orphans. Mm. And so um, we got a call one day because I had never heard this before, but a lightning bolt had um, struck for all this time. It's never happened. First time struck the statue and actually knocked off the hand of Jesus and went out the foot. So it knocked off the hands and feet of Jesus. So the people there... You see what he did there? You see it? Yeah, I hope you heard that. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I asked him, I said, did it mean anything to you that it really knocked off the hands and feet? And they said, no. And I'm like, okay. You know, but there was a picture, a spiritual picture. And basically, um, you know, what happened was uh, it was they wanted to restore. They were asking to see... Uh, if we can use something that Confluence does, which is we uh, invite uh, pastors, clergy, um, 
um, leaders, uh, government, educators, to fly on a helicopter and pray over the city and look at the city from 500 feet. Mm. And, uh, and they uh, asked if we could, they could use that for you know, a fundraiser. So, so we uh, asked the pilot, and he said, yes, I could do that. And so bottom line, they uh, did raise enough money to restore the hand and the feet of Jesus. And it just really made us think, because this was like about, you know, this several years back, maybe 10 now, um, that that's what we're called to do. I mm-hmm. see the church really willing to, to be the hands and the feet of Christ. Mm-hmm. And what do the hands do? Mm-hmm. They welcome. Mm-hmm. They serve. They help. They comfort. They hug. Mm-hmm. The hands do a lot of things. And the feet make you to cross that barrier mm. and that bridge that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Good. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Give Jude a big hand. And if you want to enjoy an opportunity to watch some things that work like that, uh, find his ministry down in West Colfax, and, and you would enjoy it. Scott, why don't you guys come on up here, and we're going to ask, because now we're going to take it from the idea. Those are some regional ideas that have worked in Denver and have been uh, something, and some other churches are engaged in and housing uh, communities that are faith communities that have different language, some different things like that. But uh, I've asked you, these two guys, Scott Van Lu, who's part of our church, and also assistant principal down at Dillon Valley. So why don't you tell a little bit about your work, introduce your guest, and then uh, tell us a little bit about the Nicaraguan community. Sure. Here. Uh, thank you so much. Again, Scott Van Lu. I'm the assistant principal at Dillon Valley Elementary School, just over the hill, yeah, <laughs> uh, over the hill from us. And um, this is Isabel Rodriguez, and she is a teacher at our school um, and also a dance instructor at our school. She's teaching folkloric dance to all of our students, um, as well as many other things in the community. Also the director and, and president of a nonprofit here called Growing Together. Um, so we have noticed together, um, first thing is that we have a really diverse school. It's unlike anything I've ever worked in. Um, we have a diverse community around Dillon Valley that, uh, that try to live and work there at 1,000 to $1,200 a room um, is what's going for Dillon Valley East now. And then this year we've seen this influx of immigrants from Nicaragua and from Colombia and um, very specific reasons why they're coming here. Uh, What Isabel and I did together, we sat one day and we talked about how could we get some information, welcome these new families into our community um, and we came up with this idea of just sitting and interviewing. So Isabel has spent hours um, with individual families just getting their story. Like, how did you come here and what do you want and how can we help you? And so I'd like to turn it over to her and she'll, she'll give us a little insight into that. Thank you. Um, nervous. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. I think there was a reason why I needed to be here. And for everything that you've said today, to help me understand everything that I've heard mm-hmm. from the stories that I've, I now carry with me and mm-hmm. have the opportunity to share with you today. So I am an immigrant myself. Um, my family came here when I was eight. I was never asked if I wanted to come or anything. We just, here we are. Um, so I think 
it is God's mission to spread out and everything that I went through, like you said, migration is really like life. You touch on everything that you can live. And really my experience has prepared me for the role that I've been able to take today and to be able to sit with those families and listen to them. And in them, I see my parents and I see myself. And I think there's nothing better that I can be doing today than listening to you and providing a comfortable atmosphere for you and teaching your kids how to dance. (laughs) Because there's nothing better to spread a little bit of joy after you've been through so much trauma. Because their journeys have been so long and so difficult and not desired, imagined, for so we have um, our families from Nicaragua who have had to just leave everything behind because they have been persecuted by the government because these families are vocal and they are engaged in their community and they are talking about the things that they don't agree with and how it could be different and it could be better and Right now, in Nicaragua, it is not the right moment to do that. Mm. So if you do, they're disappearing. Mm. So the people who are here, the students who are here, the parents are here because somehow they got away. Mm. And because it's God's mission <laughs> to, for them to come here and teach us and learn from them and hear from them. And they've been walking, they've been on trailers, they've been on trucks, they've been every form of transportation you can think of coming through Mexico and coming to the border, giving themselves up and being locked up and spending three, four, five a week days in just locked up. Um, separated females and males, so moms with their children and dads on their own. And at some point, separated maybe mom and son first and then dad, and somehow they meet again. And a lot of them have met someone on their journey to come here to our community. And now they are a part of me They are part of us, and our children are in class with their children, and I'm here telling you about them. And about how many families in uh, this community right now, uh, that's somewhat of a representation of their story, especially from either Nicaragua or Colombia, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know? Oh, Venezuela. Yeah, so we, um, Colombia, same thing. Colombia, there's been a huge influx of Venezuelans that have come over because of all the unrest there, and so there's just not jobs. So a lot of the movement we're seeing from Colombia is due to economics, Um, and folks are coming here. We have extended families, cousins. I'd say at least 50 or 60 of our families in Dillon Valley are from Venezuela, Colombia, Nicaragua. Um, In years past, last year and the year before, it was El Salvador, and it was Honduras, and it was Guatemala. Um, So over the years, the number could be 100 families, you know, easily or more. And the, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, and that's only Dillon Valley, but oh, sure. in the district, mm-hmm. in the school district, we've had maybe over 100 families. So this is only the work that we are doing at this one school. And Colombia is also a lot about um, the lack of education and the lack of interest in having your your citizens educated. So um, teachers are not supported. Teachers have had to protest. Students have been at home for three months not being able to go to school because teachers are protesting. And so a lot of it is they're coming here because they want their kids to get an education. Very good. Scott, if you would, um, as we're thinking then, because these are real people in our community, right? One of the things Scott said to me is if, if they could message out they would just say, we came here too. You came here. Almost nobody was born here. Uh, where's Matt? I, and you know, I'll give you guys the, yeah, that's, so you get the free dispensation. You were born here. You're raising your kids here. But there's almost nobody. The rest of us came here, and they would just like to say, we came here too. And I asked Scott, did you have a, any ideas, just maybe a, a thought or two on how we could possibly uh, interact with, interface with the community? Sure, just to tie it into to the that first um, verse we saw from Genesis around um, just Babel and the languages. When we come back into Corinthians, Corinthians 1.14, it talks again about languages, and it talks about um, being able to understand across languages. And what it, it kind of alludes to this, but we all speak Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean to you, um, first and foremost, just to open your heart to uh, different segments of our community that maybe you haven't before, Right? It could be just a smile. It could be a gesture. It could be our hands and our feet, you know, serving others. Um, so I think we have a lot to think about, about how this church could become a center just like our school is. Our school is buzzing day and night. We have mm-hmm. students there from 8 to 4, but before school, after school, we have dance classes. We have English classes. We have Spanish classes for English speakers um, we have adult dance classes that Isabel runs. We have um, programs for parents. So could this church also be part of that, and could we be part of those hands and feet that could reach across and, regardless of language, um, find that common humanity in our, in our love of our God and our um, basic humanity? Perfect. Give a hand to Isabel and to Scott. They would love to talk with you, get a coffee with you. Uh, Brittany Akers, who's in the high school, a number of others. Uh, Jesse, uh, Rachel, we got people who are working around and interfacing with and could give us some real tangible ideas. I want to leave you with this one thought. How radical would we go? How radical? It's a real question because it's not as simple as, I don't know, 100%. When I was at... Uh, John Crow's father's funeral just this last week. Big, beautiful, gorgeous Second Presbyterian Church. So I asked the question, just half-jokingly, oh, where's the First Presbyterian Church? Like, yeah, I get how this... And they said, it's actually right down around the corner over there. There is a First Presbyterian Church. I said, oh, okay, now I look more like a fool even than usual. And so I said, what's what's the story behind that? And Annika said, why don't you go down this one hallway? We've got some placards there that tell the story. In 1855, as the slavery issue was gaining a lot of traction in the discussion in the state of Illinois, 
that church, First Presbyterian, was faced with the issue, what are we going to do about slavery? What are we willing to sacrifice? How far are we willing to go? And basically the conclusion of the leadership was, you know, this is a thing that surely God has a heart for people and, and, you know, slavery can't be really a good idea, but it's really not our problem. That's not a big thing here. We're in the north, so we're really not going to take a stand. We're not going to really do anything about it. And a number of people in the church kept putting pressure and saying, look, this is a problem. This is going to be an issue for us if you're not willing to take a stand. And they literally separated over the, the issue of slavery. There's a second Presbyterian and a first Presbyterian because of slavery. What's your reaction to that? Was that a good idea? Was it worth it? Is that going too far? These are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves here at DCC. And as you know, because I'm not going to be here forever in the conversation, I'm going to keep praying and, and be a part of this because it's something that Jim is passionate about. We should be passionate about this issue, others, that we get fully informed, we make good decisions, and decide what's radical enough for us. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Uh, thanks for your truth. Thank you for people who are uh, devoted to loving the other. And... Uh, Help us all to develop more of that sense, to, to be willing to engage, to actually be those hands and feet. Thank you for those messages today. We pray that's name. Amen.